how are you doing? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. It's... Are you are you a fan of egg chasing? No, no. I, I listen. Other everyone likes what they like, and that's all fine and good. But I've never really enjoyed rugby. No, never done it for me either. Though I went to a rugby school where I was subjected to very cold mornings of being bashed by some eighteen stone bruiser, ish. Eighteen stone. Not really. <laughs> so eighteen years old. <laughs> you went. For, you went to a school for giants. Yeah. Uh, no, I've I've never really enjoyed rugby. It doesn't really do it for me. But it is the Rugby World Cup and all that, so people are talking about it. And uh, England have just lost. So World Cup and England losing kind of go together. Can we not talk about it? No, that's it. Okay, that's it. Let's, let's talk about football. Yay, proper game of round ball. That's what we like. Round ball. Round, but the round ball was uh, pretty good this week. Uh, two, three nil victories for United. Did we? Did we predict something close to that? I think we predicted two nil. I think in the Sunderland. I think we both predicted two nil in the Sunderland game. Good enough for me. Good enough for me. But first, there was Ipswich in the Carling Cup, Milk Cup, League Cup, Capital One, whatever it's called these days. Uh, a pretty routine win for the lads. Yeah, um, Ipswich played a super duper rotated side. I think they made eleven, a full eleven changes from the game uh, in the league. Before that, Mick McCarthy in his post match press conference said he was um, pretty happy to sort of see some of the character and ability of some of his uh, squad players. Um, but yeah, it was a, a very simple walk in the park for United. Really, that's right. Yeah, and uh, not not only did United win three 0 and it was pretty comfortable, but uh, Old Wazza scored. See, see, our tactic of thoroughly bashing him every week is, is working. Yeah, uh, I thought he took his goal absolutely brilliantly in that game. It was a very nice uh, pass, a long ball, but a, a very well-targeted one, and I thought he dealt with the defender extremely well and finished confidently. I was very pleased for him. It was uh, it was a good, a nice little moment. Yeah, found his level. <laughs> yes, although then he did score again, uh, in the Premier League. Against Sunderland, found his level. Yeah, I mean, look, the evidence is stacking up. Three against Bruges, one against Ipswich, one against Sunderland, one against San Marino. Did he score against anyone decent yet this season? At this point, I just want him to like put a hat-trick past someone to shut us up. <laughs> that's, uh, that's where I'm at with Rooney at the moment. We shall talk no more about Rooney, except for the goal he scored against Sunderland, of course. But anyway, um, so not not only did Rooney score, but... There was an absolute blockbuster from debutant Andres Pereira. Uh, what a what a lovely free kick that was. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I did a little guest slot on the Red Mancunian podcast uh, last week and um, me and Craig had a bit of a chat about Pereira and how just assured and, and comfortable he looked in, in the first team. It just, it, it fits him like a glove, the first team, and it makes sense that he's on the fringes of it, but he looks ready to make a contribution this season and it was a, a lovely goal and very nice that Juan Mata left it for him. That's a big show of confidence in the youngster because it was only 1-0 at the time. That's true. Van Hal said afterwards that they've seen it in training so that that's why it happened. So he, he's just a super talented player and he's, he's got the skill to make it at this level. No no doubt about it. His problem is that he's got you know, a huge amount of competition in all the positions that he can play. So at 10... Uh, which uh, I would guess, given uh, Anthony Marshall's form, is is Rooney's for the rest of the season, and in either of the wide positions or central midfield, not not really his bag, but either of the wide positions, plenty of competition too. So I don't think we're going to see Pereira much in the team this season, but it was it was great for him to you know get that game against Ipswich and score and. Because United got another game in the competition, so a few of the younger players will get a game again. Only you say a few, of course. It was 
he made some interesting decisions. Van Gaal left. Um, he he played Wilson and Jesse Lingard for ninety minutes in the under twenty ones two days before, right. and then gave him the day off for the League Cup game. Pereira was the the only one of the very fringe young players. Yeah. I did wonder whether last year's result at Milton Keynes didn't colour Van Hal's thinking just a little bit there, yeah. right? So, I mean, he made a big show afterwards of saying we're we're uh, we're already two rounds further than we were <laughs> last time. Yeah, hmm. <laughs> That's uh, you know, he got a buy in the second round, of course, because of uh, uh, entrance into the Champions League this year. So, um, it, yeah, clearly he just wanted to make sure that United won. So, very very strong side put out. Even De Gea played, which is one you'd th- you'd think that could be uh, left for Romero but n- not doing and uh, who is it in the next round Middlesbrough at home something like that so yeah yeah a decent draw again De Gea is kind of the one I didn't think he'd rotate on just on the basis that he even played against MK Dons that was before he signed Valdez but he never played Valdez in even in the FA Cup or any anywhere so he just doesn't seem to want to rotate his goalkeepers. He's waiting for us to have a penalty shootout to rotate his goalkeepers, clearly. <laughs> yeah, so he rotates his penalty takers. Yeah. You know, we know he likes to swap his goalkeepers out in, in mid-game, uh, although I'm not sure I've ever seen De Gea in a penalty shootout. Do you think he'd rotate his goalkeepers if they didn't save a penalty? <laughs> Probably not, because De Gea is uh, very good at football still, it turns out. He got the captain's armband handed to him by the greatest human being alive, a.k.a. Bastian Schweinsteiger. Rooney went off, subbed off, remarkably. Obviously just to protect his fitness. And uh, he handed the captain's armband just by sheer force of will that ended up with Bastian Schweinsteiger because, of course, it would. Who else are you going to give it to? Schweinsteiger was like, nope, I'm giving this to David De Gea to make him feel good about himself because I don't need it because I already feel good about myself. Yeah, interesting, that one. Of course, there might be some people, and I, I can't say I fall into this camp and maybe I'm a total hypocrite for it, but there might be some people that say perhaps De Gea shouldn't have the captain's armband what three or four weeks after he was desperately trying to leave the club yeah and I think that's an understandable argument but I think it's a really I think it misses the point of what happened in that moment it was a symbolic gesture of Schweinsteiger telling De Gea that he's important to him and by extension to the rest of the club you know yeah I mean it's funny how the narrative is slightly different though isn't it because De Gea signed a new contract almost immediately after the transfer window closed had it been Rooney I guess we would have been much much more cynical about it so De Gea wanted to leave the club manages to sign a mega new contract of course you know it was particularly logical of him doing that he couldn't do anything but really it would have been criminal of his management team to not do it and then subject him to the risks of doing it. But no, it's just it's just kind of, uh, I know it's symbolic from Bastion to do it, but it is kind of interesting that so short a time after De Gea was trying to leave that he, he uh, was captain of United, if only for a short time. And I guess so much of it is about his general conduct when he was trying to leave. Yeah. And, you know, not kicking up a big fuss or anything. And Yeah, not sticking out press releases no. and all that. And being yeah. clearly like not miserable at United, you know. And and I, I think actually Rooney got a pretty hard time. We've been over this and I don't really want to rake over old cause or whatever, but City is different, isn't it? It's a different 
a different kettle of fish. Uh, talking of new contracts and youngsters, James Wilson bouncing back from not playing against Ipswich, signing a four-year contract, not going out on loan. Uh, Van Gaal almost sort of offered Wilson a public apology for not sending him out on loan, saying uh, he would have he would have done if they hadn't picked up a couple of injuries. Well, it's not about the injuries though, is it? It's surely about United selling three strikers in the summer. Well, quite, and, yeah. and having absolutely no resources up front, except for of course the second best French striker ever to play for the club. <laughs> uh, now at the club, um, which changes the the dynamic somewhat, doesn't it? Given how absolutely brilliant uh, this lad Marshall is. But any anyway, yeah. I, look, Look, it's hard on Wilson because um, there's been talk of a new contract for a very long time now, um, you know, almost a year uh, since it was first seemingly agreed with Wilson and, and wasn't signed. So, And certainly, if I was him, I'd be thinking, hang on a minute, do I really have a future at this club? Because he, he's not even making the matchday squads at the moment, not for the Carling Cup, not for the league game against Sunderland. So there's almost nothing he can do to get anywhere near the squad at the moment. And he's just wasting his time playing at under-21 levels. You know, he's far too too good for that. Um, and it's really pretty criminal to send him out on, not send him out on loan. And, and also a little bit oddball, given that Adnan Yanazai went out on loan, for example. Yeah, and Van Gaal definitely makes these slightly eccentric and difficult to understand decisions that seem to make a lot of sense to him. You know, um, but yeah, uh, it's a real shame for Wilson, and and it's interesting that he did sign that contract in spite of that. So obviously, you would assume that that means there's been some reassurances made to him or whatever. Yeah, I guess so. Or well, the fact that United just want to lock him in, and uh, and for him, it's you know, worthwhile getting the bumping pay. But we'll, we'll see. Anyway, uh, you know, back to the game, and and Marshall, the aforementioned Marshall, scored again, and that was his fourth in four games, and and. He was, well, he came off the bench, but he was suitably brilliant again. <laughs> yeah. Are you just going with Marshall now, Ed? M- Martial. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe it. It was hilarious when he scored because he came on and you think, well, obviously he's going to score. It's just what he does. But then the clock was really running down. You're thinking, come on, what's going on? He hasn't scored. Oh, it's fine. It's fine. He scored. It's good. It's all fine. Yeah. The the thing I like about his collection of goals is that they're all a bit different, aren't they? Yeah. So. We've got the the absolute beauty against Liverpool, the kind of individual skill, the poacher's goal against Southampton, two really, poacher's goals against Southampton, and an absolute muscle to score that late goal against Ipswich, just powered his way past the defender. And and there there was talk about how impressed the United squad have been with how physically strong he is. And I think that's one of the big things about how well he's adapted to English football. He's just built... Uh, and you know all that pace and and great upper body strength and uh, great touch too. It's unbelievable to think he's nineteen. It's just like physically difficult to process the fact that he's nineteen because most nineteen year olds aren't that built, right? His touch, his skill. Like I wasn't there at the Ipswich game, and uh, as everyone knows, that that was not a game that was easy to watch. I, I did record the midnight showing on MUTV and watch it back, but it was just slightly rushed. Against Sunderland, which we'll come on to, his touch was unbelievable. And and yeah, the, you say all the goals have been slightly different, and they have, but three of them have shared that kind of uh, side-footed Thierry Henry finish, haven't they? And that's it, he only finishes when he can just roll it into the corner, yeah. I mean, it's just, look, There's it's um, it's easy to get stuck in the, the hype, isn't it? But he's got everything, right? Loads and loads of pace, the touch is fantastic, yeah. the ball sticks to his feet. He's got the happy knack of showing the ball to the defender and then beating him. I, I finally caught up with the Chris Waddle 
Graham Hunter podcast where Waddle talks about that. You, know, you don't try to beat a man from five yards away from him. You've got to beat him one-on-one mm. and you're right up to him. And, and Martial does that. And and, and then just the composure, uh, composure beyond his years. I was thinking about this and I, I sat in a coffee shop this morning uh, writing a piece about Martial and Rooney and trying to compare. And just thinking, you know, when Rooney was the, his age, he was explosive too and... And had the lovely touch. I remember one of Rooney's first games for England against Turkey where he played at 10 was absolutely brilliant. Just seemed to have eyes in every part of his head and picked out players from all kinds of angles. And his touch was mesmeric and he had that ability to run at players and was exciting. You know, so many parallels, obviously very different players, but just a lot of feeling, a lot of parallels. And and sadly for Rooney, a lot of that's gone and, and Martial's taking up the... The baton, maybe, maybe even so much that he's going to slowly retire Rooney out of the side. Well, I mean, Rooney played at number nine against Ipswich, where his goal came from, which that's kind of relevant and telling. And Fellaini played at 10. It's kind of an interesting decision. And Van Gaal said some things I didn't fully understand about what his plans were for the combination right. of the three of them and who's going to play with whom. Right. Well, he, he said he wants players to... Yeah, when Flaney plays, he's got to play at 10 because he wants players to be able to run who are ahead of him. So I, I assume that's to make runs, I think. Mm. I, I wasn't quite sure either. His language sometimes <laughs> is uh, a little flowery. Yeah, and, absolutely. And Bengalian. Um, but, you know, it's good to see United do a, a decent job and loads of kids in the crowd. That's that's a good thing, obviously. Uh, and, yeah, comfortably into the next round. Should we talk about the Sunderland game? Well, we can. Uh, one one more thing before we move on. So, yeah. um also in the Capital One Cup, Liverpool won, Carlisle won. Did you get catch any of that? <laughs> I didn't, but it doesn't. It's like it's sort of not funny anymore because Liverpool won the penalty shootout. It slightly ruins the humour of it, doesn't it? Well, Maybe not. N- not quite. No, no. I, and the fact that they actually celebrated hard as well. <laughs> no, I mean, I'd been giving it the old testimonial goal celebration. <laughs> you know, kind of in shame, a little bit embarrassed about it. But uh, <laughs> but no, no. Pylon was had. After winning three two, I mean, you know, it's kind of reflected on the game. The, the penalty shootout was crap too. Um, Liverpool had something like forty seven shots for their one goal, and and Mario Balotelli did not play because because he's not there anymore. But you know, yeah, but he's been like tearing it up in Italy mm. and liking posts on Instagram making fun of uh, Brendan Rodgers. Yeah. Well, anyway, on from that nonsense. Uh, Sunderland, not quite. As bad as Ipswich, but not far off, are they, Sunderland, well, that is? They're literally not far off, are they? At the beginning of uh, the weekend, they were, you know, seven steps above them in the football pyramid sort of thing. They're a bad, bad side, Sunderland. Oh, my God, so terrible. In the first half of that game, by the end, that is the worst of, not by the very end, but just before the very end, that's the worst I've felt about a United performance under Van Gaal, I'm pretty sure. I was just so dispirited because it was just like oh my God, this is the exact Newcastle game all over again. And then when the um, when the board was held up for four minutes, something happened in that stadium. The crowd just like really started trying to inject a sense of urgency into United's players. And there was just that moment where Blint picked out the pass and Matto with an absolutely brilliant run in behind. And finally the game could kind of really start. Right. But it was like properly soporific that first half and as so much football under van hull has been right i mean it's not like this is uh you know outside of the pattern or anything so um it, it was pretty poor pretty dull and 
and it did lack a lot of urgency. And United had 60-odd possessions, as you'd expect. Actually, I think we were talking about whether United would get in the 80s in the possession, so <laughs> not quite that. And Kadamol was flying into tackles all over the place, and, you know, and actually Sunderland made a lot of tackles. And even John O'Shea was making tackles and, and trying to gift us goals at certain points. Good, good lad, O'Shea. But it just, it just wasn't, it wasn't great from United, and... All that possession wasn't wasn't converted into some sort of real chances, and Sunderland defended well, but didn't have to defend brilliantly well for much of that first half. and And kind of fortunate in a way that United got the goal right on half time because it would have been a very different half time had they not, I guess. And and what was it? A minute after half time, and Rooney scores, and the game's over. But it it would have been very different had neither of those things happened. Clearly, that's nonsense and analysis. But but but. If Depay hadn't scored, you know, with what seconds left in that in that half, it would have felt very different when United came out. Yeah, definitely. And but it was brilliant they did, and you know, you can't say they didn't deserve it. So they did in that first half. I was I was sat like in line with the the second stripe of brightly coloured grass out from the box. So bang in line with the number ten role. You know where the number ten's supposed to do their work. And uh, you said we wouldn't talk about Rooney again, but sorry. I thought he did very well in the second half and really kind of grew into it and tried a few flicks and ran at players and generally looked a bit more confident. But in the first half... The the butt, the butt's coming and, and you learn to ignore everything for before the butt, right? <laughs> but... But all, that was, all that's relevant. Like I'm just setting the scene to kind of make it clear that this isn't Rooney bashing for the sake of it. But I felt sad watching him in that first half because he genuinely looked lost. He looked like he didn't... You say like... That that game where he played for England looked like he had eyes everywhere. He only had eyes in the back of his head in this game because almost so much went backwards. And, and I don't think this was all on Rooney. I think the fact that you've got Memphis on one flank and Matter on the other, both squeezing inside every opportunity they get, and the whole middle of the ground gets... The, the, the pitch gets concertinaed, absolutely full of players. And Rooney's in there trying to pick out a killer pass and just giving up and knocking the ball back to Carrick or Schneiderlin. So the thing is, I, I think the best number 10s are able to find the right space, right? Or, or um, they, they shape the game around them. And, and just really, just not a 10. And uh, it's just not a natural in that in that uh, area. And so people somehow think he is. I, so many tweets I see people saying oh Rooney should play at 10 Rooney should I just why I just I just don't get it I mean because he likes to go deep just because he likes to go deep doesn't mean he's good at it so he doesn't get himself into the right space and and I actually think he was much more dangerous when he he went further forward in the second half but anyway obviously you're right and the best number 10s find space but even the best number 10s rely on you know it not being predictable for defenders where the rest of the attack will run I agree. I agree. And and United were very narrow at times and that, that hasn't helped him. But um, he's still got to be the man that's dictating play. And and it, sometimes it just feels like he's a one trick pony when he gets it. He launches it wide right. Yeah. To Valencia. <laughs> no, <laughs> I don't want to have a go. Like definitely coming on to the positives here. Damien played very well at left back, I thought. Yeah. Grew, grew into the game. Yeah. I mean, he. he can't attack in the same fact. We talked about his crossing anyway. Not always the best, but he's not going to put any crosses in from the left because uh, he does cut back onto his uh, right foot. But he he 
put in his usual work rate and defensively sound. So I think he's done all right there. The only, the only challenge with that, of course, is it kind of locks Tony V into the side for a while. I'm not, I'm not sure I'm happy with that. No, it's definitely a problem. He's got big admirers, Valencia has, and, and he does bring some qualities to to the side. But his attacking play is just upsettingly bad a lot of the time. One other thing that was kind of odd about the game, uh, Schweinsteiger didn't play, but Schneiderlin Carrick did. Just just a little unnecessarily defensive, wasn't it? Two out-and-out holding players against Sunderland. Yeah, incredibly so. And that was like exactly what happened. Well, it wasn't exactly what happened in the Newcastle game, but in the Newcastle game, he brought Schweinsteiger off and put Carrick on making it Carrick and Schneiderlin at a time when we needed a goal. And and it did seem like an odd, slightly unbalanced selection. And you sort of imagine this has got he's got half an eye on Wolfsburg. But then you, I'm thinking, well, is he gonna play Herrera in midweek? If he plays Herrera and Schweinsteiger in midweek, it makes perfect sense, but I can't see that happening. Seems Really unlikely against Wolfsburg, although... I mean, he did it away at PSV and everyone was wondering why, because in every other game this season and during the pre-season, he's played two holding players, basically. Yeah, although like having Schweinsteiger as one of those holding players is a totally different kettle of fish, because talk about a man that can find space. It's absolutely extraordinary the difference of where he puts himself on the pitch to receive the ball compared to, you know, he's just he's just incredible. I'm speechless about Schweinsteiger. You know, uh, Ferguson and world-class players has, has come up a lot this week. Uh, I find it very hard not to describe and, and fit Schweinsteiger into the category of just absolutely world-class centre midfielder. He's, he's, in Jamie Redknapp terminology, a top, top player. Top, 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 top player. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. No limit on the tops. But yeah, a, a weird formation. And that didn't help Rooney either because he had very little support from behind him in terms of people that would overlap him and, and create space for him. So so he had a difficult job, but he also didn't do it very well. So positives. Martial. Oh, my goodness. In that first half, there was a moment where he just... I was watching it and I just kept thinking he was about to fall over under the under the pressure of the tackle or somehow give the ball away. But no, he just kept going until he was kind of chopped down right on the edge of the area and picked up a free kick in a very dangerous spot. Just, I mean, he's just brilliant, isn't he? He does absolutely everything you need from a number nine. Right? He, he makes runs constantly. He's great with the ball at his feet. He's great running into channels. He's got absolutely blistering pace. His touch, his first touch is fantastic. Not not the kind of, as you call it, the soft touch. Uh, wish we didn't talk about that. That absolutely beautiful touch from Juan Mata against Ipswich. Uh, where he controls it within like an inch of his toe uh, while barely looking at the ball. He did it again for his goal right? against Sunderland. He did exactly the same thing. Like Just saw the goal and was like, happy about it and then looked at the little monitor at the replay. Oh. Just unbelievable first touch. It's, it's just like a first touch where he, he casts a magic spell over the ball and makes it just stop exactly where he wants it to so he can essentially have a mini free kick all to himself wherever he likes on the pitch. I know, I had a, I had a total berbergasm with that one. <laughs> exactly. It's just just beautiful. Anyway, my, my, back to Martial. So he's got, a, he's got a great first touch. It's not soft, but it's active. Yeah, exactly. Um, exactly. Yeah, it, a little Memphis-like, but but higher quality. Mm. Uh, and and he's a great leader of the line. He can play up there totally on his own. Uh, he beats a man, as we saw, for Rooney's goal against Sunderland. He's just completely comfortable there. I think he's going to play a lot of games because if he doesn't, United have no pace, right? And it's completely transformed United's 
kind of attacking instincts. So he's got to play. I mean, he's only 19, but he's got to play a lot of games this season. And and he just looks built for it. I mean, he could score 20 goals this season. Yeah, I was asked, Bleacher Report, they sent me a headline, which is X number of goals is a realistic target for Martial. And I just couldn't put a, no, a lower number than 20. He scored four already. You know, I mean 20 in all competitions. I don't necessarily mean 20 league goals, but, you know, he's already a quarter of the way there, virtually, not yeah. quite. Van Hal this week talked again about Rooney scoring 25. We're going to have to say all competitions for Rooney in 25, I think, because he's got three in the Champions League, two for England, uh, one in the Capital One Cup and one in the League Cup. That's actually quite a lot of goals when you think about it. Yeah, he's absolutely. You know, it was really good to see him bounce one in off his knee against Sunderland because that's the, you know, it's what strikers need, isn't it? When they're not in full form and he definitely tried a few things after that that I'm not sure he would have tried before it. Yeah, yeah, he he made a big deal about scoring, which I guess, you know, given it had been 11 games or something, nearly a thousand, well, by the time he scored, over a thousand minutes since he'd scored. It was, uh, yeah, a big moment for him, I guess. His toupee almost fell off. It's important as well because, like, um, United really needed that goal then. It changed everything that goal did. Obviously, the goal before half-time was, was totally vital, but, but that one was too because everything then was genuinely comfortable after that. Not the kind of switch off with 2-0 up, we've got this one comfortable, but just totally at the races and, you know, it always seemed likely that we'd get a third after that. And so it was a really important goal. And it's nice to see him and Martial combining well and him providing support for Martial. Yeah. And yeah. So can we talk a bit about Memphis? A, a big day for him. We can. His, his first goal, well taken, well put himself in the right place. Uh, missed a killer one-on-one. It was a, yep. a horrible miss that was because Martial did a lot of very good work to get in a situation where they were two on one and then uh, slotted it through to Memphis and he couldn't beat. I mean, I guess Pantalimon's a difficult one to beat one on one, isn't he? Because he's just so gigantic. Yeah, I think Martial would have scored it. <laughs> yeah, I thought that too. Ouch. Uh, yeah, no, I'm pretty sure he was. He has the composure. Yeah, Memphis just not quite with it yet, is he? I think he's just taking a little time to adjust. I mean, totally fair, right? He's 21 years old and he's coming from the Dutch League into the Premier League, completely different style and pace of football. And, and he's just not showing everything he's got yet. I think it's hard to pick out a really outstanding performance from him yet. And, you know, uh, it's f- fair enough, right? And he's trying hard. He's a little bit inconsistent, keeps the ball too long still. That's definitely got to change. He's a little bit frustrating there. He doesn't always pick the right pass. It's the kind of game intelligence thing. Uh, we, we had a Rankast question saying, is he the new Nani? Harsh, harsh. Yeah. But, but he has that kind of level of inconsistency at the moment. And, uh, you know, I guess we feel he's got the talent to do better than that, but we don't know yet, do we? There was a bit in the first half where he got the ball, cut inside, beat a man, got himself into a brilliant position with people in the box. And I thought, oh, this is it. He could do something here. And then what he did was turn further inside and run with the ball past another man into two Sunderland defenders. And it was so, it was such a vivid illustration of the kind of current problem with Memphis. Right. Yeah. Do you know what? He has to look on the other side of the pitch and look at how brilliantly Matter used space and the ball. You know, Matter was oh, excellent today. Great. Really excellent. Man of the match for me. I um, just thought it was. Yeah, yeah. No, for me too. I mean, Marcel would be close behind, but, but Matter's goal kind of gives him the nod, I guess. But it's, uh, he's just, you know, he's just a wonderful player. And, and uh, look at Rooney and his sort of struggles at 10 and look at Matter and think how easily he could play that role. And, and uh, there's some frustration there. Of course, 
course, Mata played at ten at PSV, was it? Yeah. PSV, yeah, and and was bad. Yeah. So and you know, United have lost. We've lost one game this season, right? We're, oh no, we've lost two games. Okay, we've lost two games this season. One of which was a game Rooney didn't play in. You know, that's Rooney gets so much praise from all his fellow teammates and stuff that there's there's obviously something that he's doing that that makes a big difference to them. But I, I thought Blint was good as well. Again which was nice to see. This is the perfect game to play Bint at centre-half, especially when they had Barini up front, because the defensive side of it wasn't really any problem, and he could just contribute so much. Like, it was his pass to uh, to Mata that led to Memphis's goal. And it's just, just that's just where you want Blint at centre-back doing all his playmaker business. Yes, in that kind of game, yeah. Um, might be a little different, different at the Emirates, but uh, we'll see. I mean, he's going to play there, but... Uh, I think he'll uh, he'll certainly be tested a bit more than today. Maybe, yeah. Although brilliant centre forward play, not exactly what you find at the Emirates, is it? Very true. So after the Sunderland game, as you know, we're running a competition on the Rankcast to win a copy of Jamie Jackson's book, A Season in the Red. The competition's already open. If you haven't got your entries in, uh, you can use hashtag Rankcast and say why well, you would have been a better manager than Moyes two seasons ago or Van Gaal last season. And the best answer will win a copy of Jamie's book. I, I really liked it. It's um, it's sort of got a kind of rock journalism feel to it. There's a there's a sort of almost like beat poet quality to some of it. It's it's not packed with new information but it's a very well-told version of the story. I had a real page-turner moment with it. It's kind of, there's a car crash reading quality to the, the David Moyes stuff in particular. Anyway, after the Sunderland game, I, I spoke with Jamie, who is, of course, the uh, Manchester football correspondent for The Guardian and The Observer. Right, I'm in the press conference room. Louis van Gaal's not here, but Jamie Jackson is. It's almost as good. <laughs> what do you make of United at the moment, Jamie? Looking very much like a Louis van Gaal team. And by that I mean a team that wins games, doesn't always look like it's playing like Brazil or, or the United of Sir Alex Ferguson, but a team I think now, you'd have to say, I don't know if you say they're favourites for the title, but they are serious contenders, I would say. OK, only seven games have gone, but it's just the way they're starting to kind of grind out results, it's a bit unfair, but just, just win the, when they're not playing dazzling stuff. Now people will say, well, they never really played dazzling stuff, but they have had their moments. But um, this Martial thing seems to be a bit of a game changer. We keep on saying we've got to be careful. It's just a flash of the. It could just be a flash of the pan. Fair enough. But today, against Sunderland, the way he created Rudy's, just his just his game choices. There was a moment in the second half when he he raced clear Depay was to his right. Maybe a Welbeck or even a Depay would have carried on and shot, and the chance would have gone. But he he played him in. And Depay had the shot. Really cool for a 19-year-old. So I think he's really at the moment anyway transforming. So yeah, a lot better than kind of thought two or three days before the end of the transfer window I've been really surprised the same the the amount of difference Martial's made and that it's almost like the team makes sense in a way that it didn't before that's a really nice way of putting it I think because I think the way that Van Gaal plays which is quite I won't say sideways but it's a little bit kind of um, careful you need, a, you need a really fast guy up top because then it stretches teams and, and you know gives that sort of um, that, that, that space and he's obviously got that um, I think you get more out of Rooney at number ten. I know that, you know, from what I can see on Twitter and people that he's, he's still he's continuing to get criticism of Rooney, but he scored today, and I just think you get more out of him. And I mean, Daily Blind, crumbs, you know, to have a ball playing centre back is kind of a Van Gaal model as well. And he's got one there. That 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 pass 
Tomato, which set up Depay's goal. I mean, I think he did it. Did he do it in the week against Ipswich as well? Maybe. Um, but he's, he's done that a couple of times this season, Blin. So I think he's playing really well. And De Gea looks like none of this stuff with Real Madrid has ever happened. Mm. Played really well. And that's what. That's why I just think they've got a real chance. Um, because I think they could play a lot better, basically. And when they do, maybe they'll blow teams away even more than 3 0 um, today. Mm. I, it's nice to hear. Uh, it's nice to hear a sort of objective view of United. Now, the book is its a super interesting book. You, you write about the chapter that, for most United fans, is kind of the, the least successful that they've ever experienced. Maybe not most, but certainly most under the age of 40 or yeah, whatever. Sure. I remember when United weren't very good, but I didn't really understand <laughs> at the right. time. Um, yeah. Yeah. What was the kind of original impetus? What made you want to write that story? Well, yeah, you mean the whole book? Yeah. Right? yeah um, because, I, to be honest, I think it was a story waiting to be told. You know, you're at United Post Ferguson, you've got this most successful manager in Britain's history, you know, the history of British football, but for 26 and a half years. And the club, it doesn't crumble, but it kind of almost instantly was on its knees under Moyes. It's just a great story. You've got Ferguson, he's still around, as we know. He's got this book out at the moment. He continues to sort of be a figure, even though he's retired in British football or English football. So you've got this, this sort of great, this genius, I would I easily call him. And then you've got this David Moyes come, comes in, who's kind of almost the opposite. He's quite deferential, he's quite dour the way he plays football. And just just that in itself is drama, yeah, what happens there. Um, so even, you know, even the story of his season, which I know United fans don't want, you know, don't want to recall necessarily, I think it's still really dramatic, the fact that, not, not because he didn't win anything, but the way in which he didn't win anything and he just crumbled. And so you have that, and then you have Van Hal coming in, who's very much his own man, again opposite to, to Moyes, a different kind of, of his own man to Ferguson, if you know what I mean, they're both really strong characters. So from a, from a writer point of view, it's a story waiting to, to, to be written, and also someone who wants to write actual novels, you know, in, you know, that's sort of my ambition. It really lent itself to that sort of style. That's why I did it that way, because, you know, you and I in the world know the story. There's some stuff in there that, that, that is relatively new, you know, sort of insights and, you know, the sort of famous scene with Moyes where he doesn't particularly pleased with the, the newspaper coverage of how Van Persie was to be up top and Rooney to be a standby, you know, in Sydney. That's all new, but the actual story we all know, so the challenge was to write it in a kind of hopefully... Um, page-turning way, you know, and, and because of the material, I think it kind of almost writes itself. Um, you wrote it in a, in a really specific style. It almost has a kind of rock journalism feel to it, I thought, mm. and, and it was interesting because apart from, you picked it out, apart from pretty much that Sydney story, there wasn't too much in it, which is a surprise, mm. but it's so engaging to read it. Yeah, and I think what happens is sometimes you get stories which, as they unfold, everyone can't believe it or, you know, or, you know with Moyes, what is going on here, but then actually, if you sort of then, if some time passes, if you go back over it, it's actually even more dramatic or you, than, than maybe you've thought at the time, because you have the context of the before, the Ferguson figure, then the after the Van Hal. So I think it, it, it was worthy of a, of, a, of a sort of novelistic um, approach. I've, I've obviously, you know, I've, I've written novels before, but I haven't published, but I've written them, so I kind of know I recognise that sort of material. Um, and, yeah, I mean, you know, even Ed Woodward's an interesting character. He's, like, the sort of fourth character. You've got Ferguson, obviously, Moyes and, and Van Harbour. Woodward is, is obviously a very interesting character. You've also got the, the character of Manchester United, if you understand what I mean. Mm. And, you know, just with Woodward, it's, for me, Manchester United now, 
now that Ferguson's gone and all that power and that kind of control and just the, the serial winning that gave him all that has gone, it's really his Woodward's club now, or whoever the top, in my opinion, whoever the top ranking executive is, because the commercial operation, the way it's driven forward, how they wanted to sort of conquer America, they're just the sheer amount of money they make here. It's almost become, Van Hal, don't get me wrong, is in charge of the football affairs, but really this club now, I think in the future will always be the top-ranking executives, and I think that in itself is, is of interest. You know, so there you go. There's another little ingredient, maybe. Uh, you seem to like Woodward. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's a very personable um, guy. I think he gets the he gets the business side, obviously, but he also gets the sort of uh, the kind of the, the fan side of it. He is a fan of the club. He says he, he, he enjoys his job, and I think that's. I think whenever you meet anyone in any walk of life, it doesn't. They don't have to be in a big job, but just. But who enjoys the work? That can be a little bit. You know, you like to be around that, and it can be a little bit contagious, and it impresses you, and it makes you think, oh, okay. So he's he's in charge of this massive operation, but he actually enjoys it, and I can see, you know, he's got a little bit of sense of humour about himself. He doesn't take himself too seriously all the time, and I think, you know. That was worth relating because fans, you know, necessarily, and also Oslo, we, it, someone like Woodward or whoever it is can't always give a running commentary on why this transfer didn't happen or why we're paying this guy this amount or whatever it might be because, you know, we've got business sensitivities and also it wouldn't make the club particularly um, professional. So, therefore, I figure like Woodward has to take the flak sometimes and, you know, and also a benefit from the good side. So I think that. You know, sometimes I can get frustrated as a reporter who does it day in, day out, has done it for years. But I understand maybe why sometimes, you know, necessarily the fan might not do. Um, so, yeah, I, I do like him. Having covered basically all the top clubs in this country, you know, one time or another, he's by far the most kind of interesting and, yeah, likeable um, executive I've come across, but by a long way. Mm. Uh the the kind of shift in power structure yeah. is fascinating, and Van Gaal is uh, you, you kind of sense that Van Gaal is inherently an autocrat. You know, like his his he his personality is sort of fundamentally set up to be a Ferguson equivalent, but he's never going to be here long enough to slowly grasp every fragment of control that Fergie did over those years. Um, do you think that there's enough football knowledge at the top of the club to make smart decisions, smart appointments ongoing? That's a really interesting question. I mean, I think what was quite interesting recently was when, the, when Ferguson basically said Moyes wasn't first choice, which we kind of knew, but you know, for him to actually on the record say it, and then he, he kind of went through the, the, the list of, of who the alternatives could have been, and Van Gaal was on that list. So what, what I'm trying to say to answer your question is, I think that demonstrated there was a football knowledge there before they got Moyes in. I mean, you still have to look at the Moyes appointment and with the greatest respect to him, but also to Sir Alex Ferguson and Woodward and the Glazers. What, what, what you know, what were they doing? Sorry, but um, so yeah, I think I think there is. I think it's interesting. I've asked the question a couple of times: Would they ever have a director of football here to sort of bridge this gap? Maybe you're relating to, and the answer is always so far has been no. Now. Pre-Martial, when the De Gea thing went um, south, you know, and the whole um, uh, the, uh, the Pedro thing also, you sort of thought, well, this is where you need a director of football. But now Martial has come in and they're winning. I can sort of see the arguments for both sides. I think Giggs will manage here one day. He might be next. And I think with Giggs, you, you may get... 
I know United fans cannot stand Liverpool. You may get a boot room thing here, a sort of or a Bayern Munich thing, where it's you know you've got foot. It's a better analogy. Yeah, sure, that's quite easy. Yeah, sure, sure. A Bayern Munich thing. Because I know Ferguson admires that model. I know he's gone, but you know these are Ferguson's boys, like Giggs. But so obviously already here. I think Skulls would come back in under that. I mean, you don't need me to tell you they are really close as friends anyway. Gary Neville, Phil Neville. So what I'm trying to say is, I think there might be a moment when if Giggs comes in and he's a success, and he's going to have some of his successors in there and it'd be very interesting to see what happens there here because I think you may get a Bayern Munich situation where you or an Ajax thing where you know Overmars and the, um, De Boer and Bergkamp's there and etc etc and I think you know I'm not a fan obviously but I'm sure as a United fan you'd probably like to see that right? Uh, yeah, yeah, I would definitely like to see that in theory. Like yeah. sentimentally, that sounds yeah. perfect. That's there's a, there sure is a book in that, right? It's the question of whether or not it's a good enough idea to work. You mean? Yeah. yeah. Well, of course, of course, and that's 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 why it's interesting because say Giggs comes in and it doesn't work, and he say he gets sacked. Does that then mean that's the end of the class of 92 being here because he's sort of almost... I don't know, it'd be very interesting to, to see what happens. I mean, my, my big hope for it is that Van Gaal's a teacher, that you can see it even the way he interacts with the press. Like, it, you, I feel like it's a really important thing about Van Gaal to understand that he was a PE teacher. Sure, yeah. And, like, teachers are a certain way, yeah. you know. And yeah. he, he's, his whole career is littered with players who've become successful coaches, very different to Fergie, which I suspect is, like... Fergie's got the the kind of inherent fundamental greatness yeah. that you can't pass on. Sure. Van Gaal's yeah. much more cerebral but and I agree with you. But I'm just going back to Giggs. I think Giggs is actually quite a smart cookie, mm. you know, and and he's also got that sort of in in the sort of in the best possible way. I think he's quite a, be quite a ruthless football person. You know, he'll, he'll know how to leave people out. And you know, when he took over, for, I know it was only four games, but just the way he handled himself. I know, I know for a fact he took advice from from some professionals within you know. My industry about how to how to deal with it, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So even that, you know, I think everything for him is about being a manager. And so I would be surprised if he did fail here. I'm not saying he, he you know, he will succeed, but I just get the feeling with him. If you look at him, he's got that kind of. He's probably more like Ferguson than than say anyone else that I've come across in that sort of that sort of steely-eyed. You know, knows what he wants and, and will get it. I mean, if you just look what he did as a player, you know, I know it's old news, but bloody heck. <laughs> unbelievable to go that long here, you know, under Ferguson as well, you know. So he's learned from him. I would suggest he's bright enough to, he will have picked up loads of stuff from Ferguson, but he'll still be very close to Ferguson. And yeah, as you say, I think he will be soaking it up from Van Arbor because I think he is thinking, you know, this is my big chance to sort of really get a lot. Um, really add to, add to my knowledge so I'd be surprised if he failed if he does get a chance Fantastic um, to go back to the book I just remembered a question I wanted to get in did you think about just writing about the Moyes here? Mm. Look, that's a really interesting question basically how it started the person who found my agent David approached me when I was on the first Van Hal tour of America I had some dealings with him before about some other stuff, and he said, "Do you just do you want to do a book about Van Hal? Because he thought Van Hal was a really interesting character." I was like, "Yeah, I'll think about it." Blah blah blah. So it was, all, it was always going to be a Van Hal book, but what happened was when I sat down to do sort of some um, some chapters that you, and there's like a proposal synopsis essentially you send to publishers, I automatically started writing about the Moyes thing. Just just that whole scene, um, you know, at the start of the book when, he, when he's on his own in the office. That to me is so cinematic and so dramatic it's actually true so I found myself writing about Moyes and the more I wrote about Moyes the more it was like well if you're going to do Van Hal you have to put some you really have to do Moyes and so um, 
it was actually the other way around. It was, it was going to be more, I just found how. But as I say, because of how it sort of Germanically um, came out with Moyes. I mean, you know, the third, obviously, the people that are on the books split into three books it's also got prologue and epilogue and the, the three books are obviously Ferguson, Moyes and Van Gaal now Ferguson book only has two chapters because obviously he's retired but you, st- you know one of those chapters about Edward Wood the point being how he takes over from Ferguson if you like but even Ferguson deserved a book even though he's retired because it, kind of the whole book he, he's still a figure in it isn't he I don't know if you've read it all but yeah. he's still you know he's still sort of you know and that again is without wanting to sound a little bit it might sound a little bit pretentious, but it's almost kind of Shakespearean the idea of a sort of not a ghost, but someone who's sort of looming there as a big figure. It's, you know, and it's yeah. all here. You know, yeah. so this is what I'm sort of was getting at. When I actually sat down with this, I thought, bloody heck! You know, you'd have to be really, really. You almost, you know, anyone could basically write this to be honest, because it's such. You know, the material's all there. You just almost have to just get it all, you know, all down. Um, I mean, I, I'm now think, thinking about my next book. And I think it's difficult to come up with such. A, as good a subject, I think. You know, and, I, and what's, what's been pleasing is a lot of people have said to me, kind of what you've said maybe, that, yes, I, I read it in two sittings, so I couldn't put it down sort of thing, and that's because of the, the stories, you know. This is the good thing about sport, especially football, Premier League. It's, it is like the stuff of drama, but it's actually true. You know, this is actually real people involved, and I think that, you know, I think that gives it maybe an extra edge. Um, it's sort of both true and peculiarly not true because they are real people but we give it this heightened unreality yeah. right because because yeah. it's just people kicking a ball yeah. around ultimately yeah. when you get to but the... that to me is like the beauty of it to say you're right it's sort of it, it completely doesn't matter but then at the same time it really does matter to people and i think that's the beauty of, of sort of you know we've just watched this game today and if, if united had, had lost I'm, I'm guessing your weekend might not be sport but it wouldn't be great right yeah and that's you know it really People really care about it. Yeah, yeah. That is a beautiful thing about sport. It sort of serves a really nice release and function for people um, because it matters so much and it, and it doesn't. And so you've got, you know, these figures we're talking about, like Ferguson and, and Van Gaal, these are really intelligent, accomplished men. There's essentially, it's a game. And I just find, find something really fascinating about that, you know, how it's so, so compelling despite the fact that actually it's not war. It's not war. Mm-hmm. I'm not reporting on war. You're not reporting on war. But at the same time, and this whole thing about it being hyped as well again I love all that even though it is a little bit silly I find that quite amusing yeah. you know quite entertaining and that's kind of why I wanted to do sport as a reporter why I wanted to do football why I wanted to do Manchester United because you know through those three sport, football Manchester United you're ending up I think with the most compelling soap opera of the whole lot you know United it's just you know if they lose everyone because of the interest if you, you know I know there's, there's millions of people who don't support United but they still want to see United do badly and mm. that in itself is interesting yeah. you know it shows how much it matters as a sort of cultural phenomenon mm-hmm. brilliant thank you for your time so thank you very much uh, to Jamie Jackson for chatting to me it was a really really interesting and engaging chat and you can see he really loves covering Manchester United great stuff yeah I, I've shared screen time with Jamie Jackson although we weren't in the same place at the same time in fact um, I did about half an hour's worth of recording for the Guardian's uh, pre-season video preview, which was cut down to 30 seconds, which might tell you something about the quality of my insights. So have you got any uh, quality of insights on offer for people that have asked us some Rankcast questions? Always. <laughs> um, this one would need bleeping if I was to read it word for word, but at AW Scotty says, how good is Anthony Martial? Good. 
At 987 underscore Sean says, is it too early to sing 12 Days of Cantona? Yes. Yes, yes, yes. I, I don't know. The X Any... Factor has started, hasn't it? Or has it? I don't, I don't really follow these things, but I'm assuming it has. I think that's when we can start singing 12 Days of Cantona. <laughs> okay, cool. Because that means it's nearly Christmas. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I guess so. I think you should at least wait until the clocks go back. And really, ideally, December the 1st would be the first outing of that. But anyway... Is Arsenal's season over yet? Um, no, definitely not. It was really interesting to hear Jamie say that he thought United were genuinely serious contenders for the title. We didn't talk about this when we talked about the Sutherland game, but of course it means we're actually top of the league. for the f- top, top of the league. The last time we were top of the league, Alex Ferguson managed Manchester United. Can we, can we have him back? Please, yeah. It's some <laughs> interesting things this week, uh, Fergie said. He's launched his new book on leadership. Have you read it? No, have you? No, I can't bring myself to after that last Paul Haywood ghosted one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there actually really haven't been very many good Fergie autobiography type Fergie books, sadly. All, all, the, uh, all the best ones are written by other people, as you'd expect with Fergie, I suppose. But uh, he, yeah, he said a few things. He, he talked about his uh, four world-class players. I mean, um, of which he's clearly had very, very many more than that. So I've got a question for you. I've got my own theory about this, but but why do you think that's what he said? Why do you think he said that? I'm I'm not sure. Go on, give us your theory. I, I don't know. He picked out he picked out the the four men he thought made the biggest difference for him over his twenty years, and, and that's reasonable that you could you could say those are the four men that made the biggest difference for him, although. Don't know if you could really have Ronaldo in the list of players who made the single biggest difference. You know, I guess 2008 and all that probably wouldn't have even been that close without Ronaldo. And he did catalyse Fergie's last great team. But I mean, Rio Ferdinand, Peter Schmeichel. I don't see why you wouldn't have Van der Sar there. You know, there's not a team in the world that wouldn't have taken Van der Sar as their keeper, except I guess Juventus. Um, for more, Not just because he didn't do well there, but also because of Buffon. Roy Keane! Roy Keane's the best midfielder of his type I've ever seen. I know. Well, Keane, Van Nistelrooy, yeah. Beckham, Schmeichel all had their run-ins with Ferguson, yeah. although Schmeichel didn't really have a proper fallout with no. him. Uh, Ferdinand didn't. So, I mean, you could you could say it's, uh, it's Fergie's latest home on getting even uh, with various players. But, yeah, no, look, I, I don't know how you... It's obviously a, just a silly silly term, really, isn't it? Because there's there's nothing you can kind of put data around or numbers to, really. So it's just purely subjective. But if it was something like, would you get in the best 11 on the planet at that time in your career or at one time in your career type test, then all of them would. Keane, Vanis Roy, Beckham... Ferdinand and Schmeichel. Uh, I don't think I'm missing any out. I mean, Erwin was fantastic, but I'm not yeah. sure he was ever the best left back in the world. Uh, ditto Gary Neville, really, and, and a few other great stars. But I think those five, definitely. Yep, Stanwood as well, although he was only at United for such a short time, you could see leaving him out, really. But that that's that. you've just essentially selected my list. Um, people argue about Beckham, but Dan Harris shared a video of... Beckham's 98-99 season. Awesome. And voted the third best player on the planet that year. Yeah. And and not just because he was handsome either, like, but because he was unreal good. Like, David Beckham was so good. Anyway, I wonder how much of it is Fergie fundamentally assigning the most maximum amount possible credit to himself for United's success in the time that he ran the show 
and look, I did all this with only four world-class players ever, you know, and yet I was still the greatest of all time. And he was, you know, that's not to take away the fact that he was. Yeah. The the thing that um, was so difficult to reconcile was uh, the letter that's in the book that was doing the rounds on Twitter that he sent to Cantona. And that letter is so humble and human. The end the end part of that, like so many people tweeting that they kind of like, oh, got something in my eye or goosebumps or whatever. And it just, that kind of humility doesn't seem to sit well with Fergie now. Uh, and it's understandable, you know. No, no, I know. And and it was humility and human as well, that letter. So uh, if you haven't, you must have seen this. And anyone listening to this, I'm sure you've seen it, but a, a beautiful letter from Ferguson to Cantona and just, you know, like a, a friend and in awe of Cantona, as, as he should be, of course. But Ferguson's behaviour doesn't tally up with that, not in my mind anyway. And, uh, yeah, it's it's interesting. I, I suppose uh, your theory there of um, Ferguson wanting to say how great he was even with only four world-class play, players, are you in the uh, he appointed Moyes to <laughs> make sure his legacy was as strong as possible? Can no, he appointed Moyes because everyone else said no, apparently. That's yeah, apparently, funny. yeah. Funny they didn't say that at the time. I mean, obviously they wouldn't have done, but, you know. Had had uh, breakfast with Pep in New York and asked him to give him a call. No, no, you don't ask Pep to ask you to give him a call. You sign the f- contract um, with him there and then. You just swore again, then. <laughs> I, I went a bit Bob Geldof for a second there. None of this is to to say anything that is meant to kind of diminish Ferguson's unbelievable legacy because, you know, whenever you think about Fergie, like the fact that today, finally, United are top of the league, haven't been since he left because... He was that important to the club. Um, I, I saw him today from a distance, but I saw him. It was really nice to see him. And he almost missed Wayne's goal because he was just a little bit late out uh, after half time. sort of skipped up the stairs, sat over. I, I spotted him because you could see David Gill. I nearly called him David Hill then, Ed. That's, it's catching. <laughs> the Illuminati. Yeah. Uh, so you could see David Gill because he's so tall. Uh, and I was like, oh, I bet Fergie sits near him. So I had a little... Shifty around and spotted spotted the great man. Yeah, I, I bet David Gill's um, happy he didn't take that job up a fever, isn't he? Wow, wow. Anyway, uh, we we're going on a mega digression there from uh, Rankast questions. Um, do we have any more? Uh, we do. We'll do one more Rankast question, and then we'll uh, we'll do the um, the competition because we we're carrying on the Jamie Jackson competition, but the uh, Cal Gildart print competition has been won, so we'll, we'll do winners after that. At Mark J. Payne says, David De Gea is starting to nudge Schmeichel out of my all-time United eleven. What do you think? Oh, not not for me, not yet. No, no. When when he wins the European Cup, yeah, yeah, yeah. it it could happen. He, it could talent wise, talent wise, he's right up there. If we use the kind of world class barometer of would he get in a world eleven in his position, considering there's only one spot for a player of his position. I think there's a pretty good chance he'd be in it. Uh, he'd be right up there. Yep, yep, yep. Schmeichel's still the best. It, oh, what a keeper! This is a lot of memory lane here today, Ed. Wasn't football great in the old days? It was <laughs> when we were young. Against modern football, <laughs> I quite like it though. I, I, I like this new team we've got. We've got Bastian Schweinsteiger in it at the end of the Sunderland game. Jay Stand sang uh, a football master for like. I don't know, at least 10 minutes. And Trinsaga just stood there for ages applauding them while someone, well, listening to the rank cast, uh, Rob 
waved a, a German flag in chase stance. That was cool. Hi, Rob. And then uh, Memphis kind of walked over next to him, saluted the crowd in case stand and walked off, gave a little fist bump and cool handshake with Ashley Young. It was good. There's a lot of a lot of team spirit, as Van Gaal keeps saying. Um, so if you want your spirits boosted, well, one of you is going to about to get it. Third place in the rank cast competition to win the Cal Gildart print goes to at Blabber One, who called the band represented in the picture. Uh, General Bastion and the Red Wings. Good name. I like it. You lost bonus points for not um, coming up with a name for the album, though. In second place, couldn't give this one the win because uh, I've been feeling a bit guilty lately. But anyway, at Jamesy Cantona says, Captain Basti Hart and the Matter Band, uh, the album called Unconditionally Guaranteed Rooney Will Play. This really made me laugh. And But the winner is Mark Fitzpatrick at Manchester Fitz. The Vangles present Pass Pass Score. Love it. The Vangles, spelt V-A-N-G-E-L-S. It sounds like a proper band, that does. It does. And Pass Pass Score would definitely be the name of the current United team's album because another six goals in the past week. I think it'd be Pass Pass Brackets, Pass Pass Pass, Pass 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 Pass. Score. Now, Martiali's in the side. Before it would have been missed. (laughs) That would be the 12-inch mix with all the different passes in there. But yeah, um, so we've scored three in... All our last, the only game we haven't scored three goals in was the PSV game. But every domestic game we've played for yeah. weeks on end, ever since since Martial signed, is that true? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Every <laughs> that is that's my favourite statistic ever. That is, it's just made a massive difference to United's attacking prowess. No yeah. doubt, and we take it on the road. Well, no, before that, before uh, the Arsenal game. Is Wolfsburg, I'm nervous about this one, Ed. Even if they did suffer one of the most remarkable fates a football team has ever suffered uh, last weekend. Well, yeah, yeah, I mean, got smashed by Bayern Munich. I mean, they've got a very good record this season. I were unbeaten before uh, Bayern absolutely hammered them. Well, you oh, say oh, Bayern. Yeah. <laughs> Robert Lewandowski. Everyone yeah. must have seen this by now, but he scored five goals in... Seven minutes or something. Nine, five goals in nine minutes, which yeah. prompted me, I, I'm not ashamed to say, to check out whether Rooney had scored five goals in nine months. <laughs> You're a bad person, Ed. I, I'm a bad person. It turned out he'd scored six league goals in the past nine months. Uh, and I thought, ah. Can't, you yeah. can't, just a, no excuse. At, at, at that point, I was hoping Lewandowski would score another so I could do that tweet. <laughs> All right, to that person that said this is just us laughing at our own jokes, I want to make it very clear I was laughing at Ed's joke there. That's right, and we haven't made a snide comment about about Louis yet. No, no. We don't really do that, I don't think. I thought a lot of his criticisms were entirely fair, but not that one. But Wolfsburg are a very, very good football team, and it's going to be very difficult to beat them. That's my analysis of that game. I, I, I think it's gonna. It's a big task, and and a win here would be absolutely massive. Right. I mean, at home, so United's still favourites, but this is a really good side, and uh, they they lost uh, Kevin De Bruyne, of course. You know, huge loss to them. Went out and and spunk twenty million euros on Julian Draxler, another fine young player. You know, and they've got options up front in Dost, who appears to have the shirt at the moment, but also Max Kruse into the the uh, German international. They can even call on Nicholas Bentner 
Although I'm not sure that is likely to happen. Some f- he does he does like score for them. Yeah. He's got a decent record. Yeah, for them. Andre Schurler's there at the moment. Uh, they have Dante Naldo at the back. The Ricardo Rodriguez, one of my favourite fullbacks uh, in Europe, aside from Luke Shaw. Uh, loads and loads of good players. They're a good side. Yeah, a, a point about their centre backs. The fifth goal was just hilarious because as much as it was Lewandowski pulling an absolutely extraordinary feat of football that he probably wouldn't have done if he hadn't scored four goals in the previous nine minutes. But the defenders just looked like, oh, what is even the point anymore? They just kind of parted and were like, yeah, go on, score another one. You might as well. It doesn't make any difference now. I know, I know. I, I was a bit disappointed in Lewandowski. He should have tried a, like a scorpion kick or something at that point, shouldn't he? <laughs> he really <laughs> just your standard flying overhead Caesar kick <laughs> type stuff. We we could do with seeing one of those. But yeah, I mean, they've got quality all over the pitch. Any areas that you would sort of describe as a potential weakness for Wolfsburg? No, I mean, clearly you're going to look at those two central defenders who are not the quickest, right? So, and Benaglio, decent keeper, not brilliant. But, you know, they're, they're a very solid side, very solid, as you'd expect for a team that is likely to finish second or third in the Bundesliga this season. So, you know, very high quality side. They'll cause United problems. They tend to pack midfield. They, they often play with a, a defensive midfielder behind four um, and United will have to break them down. And, and that's been a bit of a problem sometimes against teams that will, you know, quite happy to play quite narrow. So um, United will definitely need to play with lots of pace. So I'd be really surprised if, if Martial doesn't play. I mean, he has to, doesn't he? Yeah, at this point, surely we'd be surprised if he played any game, if he didn't play any important game. Right. But, but you know, the truth is that, that uh, Wolfsburg have players from midfield who can break ahead of the ball and that's going to cause United problems on the break. Definitely going to cause United problems on the break. So, um, I, you know, I think there could be goals in this one. I, I don't expect Wolfsburg to, to solely sit back and expect United to dictate the game. So my... I think with that in mind, it's the midfield combination is going to be really interesting. Maybe Schneiderlin and Schweinsteiger, but then you, obviously you lose what Carrot gives you. But but Schneiderlin's looked pretty solid defensively, hasn't he? Um, seems to be kind of growing into United a bit, I thought. Yeah, so someone sent us a, a stat, Premier League games only, but since March the 9th, 11 games with Carrick, 11 games without him, 11 wins out of 11 with him in the side. Uh, and two wins, three draws and six defeats with him out of the side. Uh, there you go. Correlation and causation are, of course, not the same. Absolutely. But yes. That, yes. that is a, a significant link that's probably... A good answer for any time that really scores with one <laughs> off his kneecap. Schweinsteiger, you, you just have to play Schweinsteiger. You, you, they, he has to play Schweinsteiger. If he doesn't, I'm going to get very upset. He will play Schweinsteiger, though. It was hilarious in the Sunderland game, just watching him peel off the rest of the midfield and stand on the left wing going, come on, lads, there's no one within 40 feet of me here. He's just different class, isn't he? He is. Uh, you know, I expect him to play, um, especially because Wolfsburg is so strong through central midfield. So, um, yeah, no, I, I would think so. And, and, you know, Draxler and Cruiser will probably play in there and they'll, they'll probably cause United some problems. But, you know, we have an upgraded central midfield these days, don't we? We do. And uh, an upgraded centre forward who can cause anyone problems. And apparently we just score three goals every game now. So maybe we'll do that again. I think it's going to be a, a tight one. It's the kind of game that makes you really wish we'd beat an Eindhoven. Because then you could say, okay, a draw would be okay, but a draw is quite bad now, isn't it? So having dropped those 
those three points. Yeah, a draw would put United in a, a difficult position in the group, definitely, because then you're, you're going away to, to uh, Wolfsburg and, and Moscow hoping to get some points, yeah. right? Or definitely needing some points. So, yeah, you know. Big game. De- de- be definitely a big game for United. Uh, a real test for for Van Gaal. Um, failed his first one, didn't he, in Europe and and uh, got to yeah. do better this time. I mean, I guess technically he passed his first test in Europe. It just turned out to be a pretty easy test. I, I don't think they count. It's a, it's a qualification game. They don't count towards statistics and stuff like that. Okay, they? there you go. And then talking to things that don't count, we're going to play Arsenal. Hey, banter. And so they, they just scored five this week. Right. They, they might not be very good, but uh, they uh, just piled on the goals today. So. Oh, I haven't, I haven't seen that. What happened? Well, they beat Leicester 5-2 at Leicester. Oh, that's a very good result. My goodness. Yeah. Leicester have been flying, haven't they? Yeah. So there you go. Arsenal flying even more. Made 26 chances. Um, so not bad. Uh, look, clearly going to be a tough game for United. Interesting, because every time we go to the Emirates and win, it's because we've beaten them up a bit and then absolutely hammered them on the break. Neither of which I really associate with this United side. Not not a lot of muscle in the side and uh, playing on the break isn't really what we do. So are we going to go to the Emirates and pass, 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 out, pass, Arsenal? <laughs> I just, I've got no idea. I mean, last season, of course, under Van Gaal, we did, we kind of uh, went with a new strategy, which was soak up all pressure by just letting them have total free reign and hoping they don't score any goals and having De Gea and then hit them with two hilarious goals at the end of the game. Uh, of A game I believe we both, described mostly as just hilarious last season. Gary Neville was like the only person in the world that thought we were going to win that game, I think, at one point. Arsenal were just hammering them. Neville was just like, nope, I've seen this before. United end up winning this. And of course they did. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure we could uh, play that game like that uh, too many times and come away with a win. I <laughs> no. mean, it was properly silly. So, I, you know, yeah, I mean, clearly got to play better than that. Clearly we'll want to have more control and dominance, as, as Van Hal likes to put it. Um, and then got to got to come up with the right strategy to contain Arsenal's, you know, millions of Diddy men who kind of buzz around. Um, all of which seem to score today. Yeah, because they're very good on their day, Arsenal, and we just and they're diddy men. Yeah, we just have to hope that they uh, they're bad and we're good, and that does happen quite a lot when we play Arsenal. Now there there really is. You mentioned Alanisis earlier. We have to hope that we're good and they're bad. That is as bad as insight gets, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, yeah, so I can only apologise for that, listeners. But I hope you knew what I meant. Arsenal have many off days when they need to play well, don't they? And they will need to play well to beat us. And they're no good when there's any pressure on them whatsoever, are they? So No, very true. And uh, and I think Wenger feels like he's under a bit of pressure uh, at the moment. You know, I need, he has been for years, hasn't he? But he, he reacted quite poorly to Mourinho winding him up. <laughs> Uh, in the past week, <laughs> I mean, Maureen really did, uh, really did uh, target his chain. So, um, and Wenger kind of lost. It's it. amazing that it was amazing. Like Mourinho just going, "Oh, there's only one person who doesn't have to win trophies and play well, not to be under pressure." For it's fair enough, he's doing a great job. For some reason, he's the king. <laughs> just amazing, absolutely route one from Mourinho, but it just worked a treat. Did you see the Chelsea Arsenal game last week? I did. Yes. Game is a strong word, isn't it? The, Game is a strong the word. Chelsea yeah. Arsenal pantomime. <laughs> I mean, just a little bit of me 
kind of kind of enjoyed Diego Costa, and I just kind of, oh, just kind yeah. of thought I wouldn't mind a little bit of that utter wittery in the in the United side. I mean, you know, talk about. I mean, he hasn't got away with it mainly because there's such a media fuss about it. I suspect, and, and another debate, I suppose, about the consistency around using uh, video replays. But um, but yeah, he, he gets the rules and he bends them and bends them and jumps over the line and sprints. <laughs> and there, there was a really interesting conversation on Twitter about this. I think um, Jay Motti was talking about it. And it is the Stoke factor of, like, Pulis is Stoke. Referees knew they were dirty, so they just let them get away with a few because their reputation comes before them. And, like, Costa genuinely gets away with fouls because referees are like, oh, it's Diego Costa, you know what he's like. And they're not doing it consciously, but he, he has a couple of free ones before referees like book him for stuff they would book other people for just because of his reputation. Yeah, and then um, and then uh, on the other side Arsenal absolutely for, falling for it, you know, just completely uh losing it that totally. That's just uh, Paulista had so long to do something other than what he did. Uh, it, it was really extraordinary and he's been let off which is a slightly odd one. You can only assume it's because maybe the referee didn't properly see what he sent him off for, but why would he send him off if he didn't? Anyway, yeah. all that. All that stuff. Anyway, that's not our problem, is it? Our problem is how we get past Arsenal and the, Arsene and the Diddy Men. That could be an album cover. Yeah, it could. I, I figure we're quite a decent match for them. The, the one all at the end of last season was, you know, that was a, a bit of a much ado about nothing game, really, that, but. We definitely matched them. Yeah, De- decent match, uh, playing a very similar formation, uh, kind of similar style, really. Uh, now with Van Hal, I mean, you- you'd say that United would, you know, pass, 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 and it might be quite a dull game. But for Marcel, and we talk- keep talking about him, but the transformative effect of having someone with pace up front who's actually of high quality has just been massive. Um, it's almost like we just spunked thirty odd million on a on a striker. Oh no, we did. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's almost like that's exactly what Arsenal should have done as well. It really is uh, absolutely hilarious. I mean, Martial is definitely a player that Wenger will be claiming he almost signed in a couple of years. Oh, no question. I think he already has, right? All these agents said, what did he say? He said, like, um, oh, there are those who observe and those who sign or something. <laughs> Ouch. Wenger's got it, getting it from all directions, but he'll be he'll be on top of the world at the moment if he's put five past Leicester. Well, indeed, yeah, and no Danny Welbeck, uh, injured at the moment. Who? Yeah, 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 whatever, splitter. So, how many goals are we going to put past Wolfsburg and Arsenal? What are the scores going to be in these two games? Super tough. I mean, I want to feel confident because United are winning games, right? So... Uh, Wolfsburg is going to be a, a really tough game. Let's just hope it's one of those really special European nights. I mean, it's good to have it back, isn't it? Old Trafford, um, proper Champions League football, a really good European side there. And uh, and a United win. Just 2-1. I really, really, really hope you're right about that. I think I, I have to use heart overhead because I can't predict anything other than the United win for that game because it's just so important. But what I secretly really think is that it's going to be a problematic draw. But I do think we'll beat Arsenal because that is definitely something we do. It is something we do, yeah. Um, no, I probably think we beat Arsenal too, although United's results on the road aren't great, really, although did go down to Southampton to win, of course. So, yeah, I, I might 
think of a 2-1 victory at Arsenal as well. 2-1 twice. Yeah, there you go. OK, I'm going to go for a brilliant 3-2 against Arsenal. Very good. I, I tell you what, if someone could be bothered and tossed up all the predictions we've done on this show, I reckon United might finish with somewhere like 112 or 115 points every season. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. We're born optimists, Ed. Never let it say it's different. It's true. It's like Mark Lawrenson's predictions on uh, the BBC website. It's a win for Liverpool every week. Absolutely. So if you want to get hold of us in the week, please not to just have a go at us about Rooney. Everyone else has done it for you. You're all right. At UTD Rantcast for me, at United Rant for Ed, facebook.com slash United Rant for the both of us. If you want to express your financial appreciation for the show, head over to unitedrant.co.uk slash tip jar and chuck us a tip because that's this podcast is entirely tip funded. And I think for this week's playout track, I think in honour of the Man match against Sunderland uh, and in honour of our friend Simon Stevens. Uh, this one's for you, Juan. 